Aloha friends. As many of you know, this season has been brought to you by Maui Dream Properties and our friend Jonathan Eunice, realtor and real estate advisor. He's been helping me learn all about real estate on this island and he can help you too. If you're looking to move to Maui, one of the most beautiful, beautiful islands on the planet, whether you're buying or selling or investing, Jonathan will serve you with passion and enthusiasm and excellence. You can trust him to put you and your family's needs first. It's a wonderful place to live. You're going to need help navigating that crazy real estate experience on this island in the middle of the Pacific. Jonathan is your guy. So go to MauiDreamProperties.com and drop Jonathan a hello and get started on making your dream a reality. I'm David Glenn Taylor, and this is the Voyages Podcast. Okay, friends, bear with me for just a minute. This intro is going to be a little longer than the others have been. I spent this last year on the Voyager sharing inspiring stories and conversations with people I know that are doing amazing things. We've talked about winemaking and hip-hop dancing and how to take pictures of the sun and just a bunch of fun stuff. It's been a wonderful exercise and random joy for me and hopefully for you as well. But this week I want to take a second and tell you a bit about my life. Around the end of 2009, I was a nice guy but I was a very religious guy as well, and I was also a very depressed guy. I was addicted and miserable, and eventually I became suicidal. To make a very long story short, one day I found myself at a place in my hometown of Anchorage that offered help and healing and taught me how to go inward and work to heal the pain that I'd been carrying around and medicating. It transformed me as a person. It healed me of addiction, and it gave me a new lease on life. And it set me on a path that was more beautiful and full of love and free of judgment. It's what I had always been seeking. But it also caused the religious system that I believed in to fall apart. That system no longer worked for me. Maybe some of you have had a similar experience in which your awareness expands and what you once believed no longer serves you for whatever reason. You find that part of you wants to go back, but you really can't. You can't unsee what you now see. And most of you doesn't want to anyway. While you grow and expand, you also lose things in that process. I lost friends. I lost community. One of my closest friends told me he could no longer be my friend because I was going to hell. I spent all my life in the Christian church, and once that theology no longer made sense to me, for many of my friends, I was lost. And at the time, I felt that loss, but not in the same way they did. I don't believe I'm going to spend eternity burning in hell, but I did feel the loss of the comfort of being certain about what I believed about God and eternity. And I grieve that loss, which is, now I know, part of the process. Years later, I know this as deconstruction. It's the psychological term used to describe what happens when the narrative that a person lives by loses its ability to explain their life experience. Their mind has to construct a new narrative to help them go about life in a normal way. You think of it as tearing down the old building to build a new, more efficient building. You might miss some of the things that the old building represented, but the new place you're building is just more functional for you now. The insulation holds the heat better. The lighting is more illuminating, the space more suiting to your needs. So using this metaphor, my life's old building was quite rigid. It was made of hard stuff. So the tearing down was violent. It felt like a wrecking ball. And once it was down, there was a space in between when I was sort of homeless psychologically. Being in that space was fascinating. It was thrilling and terrifying at the same time. 
My guest today is Joshua Harris. When he was 21, he wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which went on to sell 1.2 million copies. It was a huge part of what we now call the purity movement in the evangelical church, which most of you know is a major force in America in both politics and our general culture. The purity movement was the period in the late 1990s and early 2000s that saw churches and their leaders press strict moral standards on sexuality and sexual activity that many look back on and believe were not realistic, to put it mildly. Joshua's book skyrocketed him to Christian fame, and he became the pastor of a massive church, seeing thousands of people on the weekends, and he wrote other books. He was on television a lot. He was, by all intents and purposes, an American Christian superstar. But then years later, he decided to attend a seminary in Vancouver, B.C., and there he was able to ask some deep questions about his belief system. He was able to give voice to some of the doubts that had begun to rise up inside of him, and he came face to face with people who had been hurt by the book that he'd written. When confronted by this pain, he chose compassion. He apologized for what he had written and the damage it had done. And for that, the Christian hierarchy expelled him. You Google his name now and you're going to find scores of condemning articles and harsh judgment and analysis. And in this space, Joshua's deconstruction began. When I spoke with him a few weeks ago, I found Joshua in that beautiful in-between space where the new narrative hasn't fully formed yet. He's being patient with himself, and he's spending a lot of time listening. Our time together became less an interview and more of a conversation between two men who had a common understanding of an experience that needs to be given voice. So today on The Voyagers, we're talking inside that deep space. And I think I can speak for Joshua, and I can say, welcome. We're happy you're here, and we hope you find this conversation helpful. Um, when you hear the word God, what comes to mind now? Is that a big question? Start I used to be so certain, and now, <laughs> I, yeah, now I'm so I'm so unsure. I'm, I I uh, I have so many questions right now. I don't have a lot of energy mm. to tackle all those questions. I think that might change. So I'm trying to just be really gentle with myself, patient with myself, and not try to label myself too quickly or lock into a, a new set of answers. Right. I was talking to um, this writer named Emily Joy, and she she said that certainty is like crack, you know, <laughs> and I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, you I grew up in a an environment where we were so certain that we had all of our doctrine right and that we were, you know, the chosen people and and you kind of get used to that. And so then when you, you shift in your beliefs, you sort of want to find that again in a new camp, in a new tribe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really trying to resist that urge to just lock into a certainty, but. Right. Do you feel I, tribeless? Yeah, I do feel, I do feel tribeless in, in certain ways for sure. When I went through deconstruction, I was working with um, this old Clinkett Haida native Alaskan guy. He was a, kind of like a shaman type. I found that as I was working through kind of the same questions that we're talking about, I went over to his house one day and just sat while he was sipping coffee and, and he, and I'm just looking at him. He's this old guy, you know, he's got the ponytail and he says, uh, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I, said, I was like, I feel I've lost my community. And he said, oh, he goes, just look around. There's beautiful people everywhere. <laughs> and, and for him, it was, 
it was such a simple idea. And I took it back to, I guess I kind of took it back to my practice, my, you know, meditation or prayer or whatever, and start kind of going, what does that mean to look around, to really start looking around, you know? Do, do you feel like the same way when it comes to words like Christian now, or do you still consider yourself a Christian? You know, I don't consider myself a Christian because of the way that I defined being a Christian for so long. Right. But I'm sort of in a phase right now where I'm trying to be open to listening to people who have such a different practice of the Christian faith, the Christian way. But even that's a little bit of a challenge for me because right. I spent so much time judging those people, you know, those progressive mm -hmm. Christians and so on. So I, I'm kind of like have to read and then like get through my own arguments about it and then try to be open. I, I watched the documentary about I Kissed Dating Goodbye. The right. I survived I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And in it, you, you were wrestling it like in real time. Like, and that was, a, that was what I found fascinating about the film was, and, you, and for those of you guys who are listening, you can watch it on YouTube. It's called I Survive, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Watching you wrestle with it in real time, but also seeing at the end, like when you're apologizing and you apologize to people that the book that heard, you, you acknowledge that it helped some people and still is helping some people. Is that the same thing as having regret over writing the book? I do regret it in the sense that I think it, it propagated some really unhealthy ideas and, and hurt people. Yeah. So... I definitely regret being the or popularizer of those ideas. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to think about, you know, people ask the question, well, if you could go back and, and not write the book, would you do that? And I just think that whole exercise of trying to, you know, first of all, I don't think it's helpful to live in regret too much for right. myself or any person. And then I think this idea of trying to, to rewrite things and, and right. how you would do that is just not an option we have. So I, I just feel a lot of sadness about that. And, I've, and I'm seeking to reverse as much as I can through how I communicate to people and through right. you know, the projects I'm doing and through spotlighting other people that I think are, are thinking about these topics in more helpful ways. My way to just walk out my own my own journey, not pretending away the parts that I now disagree with, but trying to have honest interactions with others and, and encourage healthier thinking. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, because from a timeline standpoint, like where you're at in that journey, are you feel do you, like you, you, you acknowledge, you say, yeah, I feel a little bit tribalist right now. Is it a sense of like, you're going, I know at some point I'm going to look back and this is all going to kind of make sense. Do you get that sense ever? Yeah, I do have that. I have that sense even now. I I feel a real sense of gratefulness for even some of the difficult things that happened to me that pushed me into a willingness to to ask questions and to you know deconstruct. Right. I wouldn't have gone through that. I think if I hadn't met with failure in different forms, kind of hitting the pavement and and being willing to question because my my castle had fallen down mm -hmm. and so even now i've i've kind of have this sense of this is the the path i'm supposed to be on even though it can be uh confusing at times i find that absolutely fascinating for a lot of christian writers or even and i think rob bell's the same kind of thing right where he's looking back and going you know i was part of the system and now i'm kind of pushing up against the system and a little bit of kind of this what you could consider a, like a, a resistance of saying look there's these other ways to think about it this expanse more expansive way to think about it right um and how you can you know you can spend the rest of your life kind of you know, sorting that out. What I found interesting about your kind of career path right now and doing clear and loud, doing brand messaging, and you still fully understand communication is my skill. It's my gift and that you're good at it. And so like, if you were going to write a book right now, you're going to sit down and you're going to start writing where you're at right now. What would be the topic? What would be titled? Like, what's the thing that you're thinking about that way? Mm. Oh boy. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm, I think I'm sort of in this uh, trying to make sense of my own uh, story from yeah. a new vantage point. You know, yeah. like the last book that I 
significant book that I wrote was called Dug Down Deep. And it was basically me walking through like these significant doctrines of the Christian faith from a very conservative standpoint from a, you know, the tribe I was in was kind of this new reformed tribe, this charismatic, yeah. you know, yeah. amalgamation. So I was sort of telling my own story and my own journey from that standpoint. But then, you know, my life has taken such a radical shift and turn and I've let go of so many different things. So now I look back on my own journey. It's like I have a, a new interpretation of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm asking these questions like, why did I buy into that? And why was I drawn <laughs> to this, you know, really controlling religious environment? And why did I, you know, feel the need to try to impose these ideas on other people? And so, you know, looking back on that with a, even a charity of saying, what, mm -hmm. what is it about the human experience? What is it about my human experience? Why did I do some of those kinds of things? What's happening right. in the the lives of other people and then what are these kind of essential human desires and questions that we all have and are there other ways to answer those questions so i i think any writing i would do right now would be really trying to understand and process dug down deep was interesting because i was i was going through my deconstruction my cousin sent me that book to try and pull me back to church. Oh gosh, are you kidding? Well, he was like, we were trying, him and I were super tight friends and he, and we've always been really close and, and he was really upset. He was worried I was heading to hell and he was, and he, and we were trying to find a common dialogue. And I said, well, let's here, I'll send you a book that I'm reading and you send me a book you're reading. And, and, and he sent me that book. And what book I, did you send him? I sent him a book called the third Jesus by Deepak Chopra. Have you, have you heard this book? No, say so you, what's the title again? It's called the third Jesus by Deepak Chopra. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fascinating book, man. He it's I that book kind of that was dude, I went into after I kind of went through my shift, I guess I keep calling it a shift. There's this kind of transfer. It's almost like a, a religious process, you know. Yeah. Where I went from reading, you know, I, I would read books, but I would read maybe a a book every 3 or 4 months, you know, and get through a chapter or whatever, you know, a week. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I went, I literally like overnight, I was reading like at least two or three books a week. It was wow. the weirdest thing. I went into this and for about a year and a half. I was consuming. I had, I'd have 14, 15 books on my bedstand. And for me, it was, I want to know everything about Jesus, everything that they didn't tell me at church. You know, wow. I want, I want every, anybody who's ever written anything about Jesus from any perspective, I'm going to read everything about it. You know, I was digging up, you know, crazy, some really wild stuff, you know what I mean? And, and just reading it because the person of Jesus and the third Jesus, that book talks about, there's this historical Jesus, the one that we can read about in history. We have the gospels, we have Josephus's mm -hmm. writings, we have that, right. which we have very little of when you look at the historical figure of Jesus Christ, right? Or Jesus of Nazareth. And then he said, then there's the story, there's the Jesus, the religious figure. There's the one that we've created or that we've, what we've turned him into. I, I affectionately call that blue sash Jesus, you know, and, <laughs> and right. <laughs> Perfect hair, blue sash. And then there's the Jesus that he said, we could call the mystic in that he said he's, he's in there and there's these teachings that he was left and he was he was saying, you can do these things too. And he essentially spends the whole book saying, okay, if he said to his disciples that you could do these things, like you're going to do greater things than I've done. And he's walking on water and healing people and doing all this crazy stuff. And he says, and we don't look around the Christian church and we don't see that anywhere. I've seen a few miracles. I think a few, some people go, yeah, I've seen a miracle happen. Right. But it's not like it's a thing. Right. 
It doesn't, it's not like you go to church every Sunday and blind people are seeing and dead people are getting out of the, you know, we just don't do that. And yet here is the, the, the teacher or the founder of the religion saying that that's actually part of the practice of living in this way. He was like, so how do you do that? And the whole book is an exploration of how do you follow? So he'll go into like a specific teaching of Jesus's wow. and go, and go, okay, well, here's in theory, how this is how you can actually do that. Like walking on water, he gets into like, you know particle physics and stuff like that and oh my goodness, yeah it's it's a really book. it's a fascinating book you should pick it see, up it's now see i'm if i can just ask you the question like yeah. do you do you now identify as a christian or what is what is your kind of belief structure these days yeah you know it's interesting for me i can't let go and i and i think i tried for a while i can't let go of the concept of a divine knowledge mm. you know that that um what i call spirit that there is this source that we plug into that is essentially pulling us forward into goodness and, and reconciling hurt and pain. Because if you look at our history, you know, as much as we believe that there's so much chaos right now, it's actually right now the planet is more peaceful than it's ever been in terms of actual wars that are taking place and actual, we have more civility and more peace and more commonality on the planet than ever before. We literally have the lowest crime rates we've had for it's crime has been going down in our country for many, many years. You know, there's amplified noise from all the 24 seven news cycle and the internet that's going to have an effect. But in actuality, if you look at where human race is, you can see this social evolution. And I look at it and I go, I feel like there's something pulling us forward. I read this great book by uh, um, JP Newell. He's a pastor in the Scottish church. He's um, he taught at Seattle school of psychology and theology. And he wrote a book called uh, Christ of the Celts. Mm. And it's a, it's a book about the Celtic belief and their whole kind of angle on Jesus, which is radically different than what you see in the evangelical church. And I think I move in that more the direction that of Jesus as a mystic, Jesus as this person who left us these teachings that if you really start going, you read his teachings, you go, whoa, like I heard that in church, but it was never understood in that way of like, he was saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven was like. And by the way, kingdom of heaven is here and now, and it's with us and it's, and it's in you. He was teaching that. And so I call myself a Christian and like my brother calls himself a Christian mystic. And I guess I could call myself that way because I just can't stop thinking and reading about Jesus. I just, mm, that's he, beautiful. you know, that's where I'm at. Thanks for asking. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really fascinating. <laughs> I, I really, I, I, I think that's beautiful. You gave a TED talk called uh, Strong Enough to be Wrong. Is that still the, the same thing you're chewing on in wrestling and finding yourself speaking about a lot right now? Uh, that there is a strength in, in coming into the space where it's okay to doubt, it's okay to be wrong about something, it's okay? It's something that's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, and I hope to you know share that message with more people in the days to come, because I think it's so easy for, for people to get locked into wherever they are and, and mm -hmm. feel like they can't change lose everything if they if they admit that they got something wrong and right. so yeah my my own experience of that was was pretty uh significant for me because i mean at the time that i gave that ted talk i wasn't even really questioning issues of faith i was more just questioning the effect of the the book that i'd written but that yeah. book was a huge part of my identity it was it was sort of my claim to fame and my sense of you know worth was tied up in i wrote these books, these books helped people, this, you know, fed, you know, a lot of my sense of, of value. And so to let go of that felt like I was losing part of myself. Yeah. Know?
say actually this was not good and, and rewriting that that perspective right but um there's there's so much you know growth and and life that comes from being willing to, to right. change right and um so i'm trying to to hold that that hope out to other people what yeah. in, in all kinds of different ways you know whether it's politically or when in religion or even just in a in a relationship that instead of viewing that that moment of admitting that you're wrong as this this terrible death that it actually can be a moment of transformation how is that translating in in terms of you're looking at relationships now my ex-wife and i have a just an agreement that we kind of don't try to unpack sure okay yeah perfect personal aspects of our our marriage and so on but i would just say that uh you know she's she's working on a book that i think is going to help a lot of people sharing her own journey and there's just a lot of ways that we look back on the very controlling church environment we were in, um, the effect of, you know, my books on other people and other couples, we, mm-hmm. we sympathize with them. And we see, right. we see a lot of that same damage caused, you know, in, in our lives. Right. So, yeah, but in, just in terms, yeah, there's, there's definitely now this, this walking things out as I'm, you know, divorced and single and trying to figure out how, old ways of thinking about relationships apply what I let go of what I hold on to. And, you know, in, in many ways, feeling very juvenile in some yeah. way, in terms of my own experiences and, and viewpoints right. and so on. And, and that's, uh, that can be, it can be a little confusing. I've watched so many people that I think that they were, they started their relationships when they were young, they started with a certain belief. You were at this place and you're not that person anymore. Like you're just not. And you're at this place where, you know, we, we hit midlife and we go, I'm not that guy. And she might say, you know, I'm not that girl. And like, But you want a chance to present who you authentically are at this point. You're starting to really know yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's like, almost like you have to, I, I said hi to dating, you know, <laughs> it's like, I, I need to go out and try this thing again. You know, my wife and I talk about it all the time. I'm like, you know, we've had to almost do that in our own marriage and go, you know, I have to meet you as I am now and transform. I'm, I'm a different person. And she's like, oh, I'm a different person. And Somehow it's worked for us. This part of this process is I become less judgmental as well, mm-hmm. right? And you mentioned how like, you know, that part of you is kind of open, open, open. And you look back and that was one of the first things that really began to fall away is you realize how you lived in a space in which your belief system itself held judgment over millions of people. Yeah. You know, that's a tough one to reconcile. That was a hard one for me to reconcile with, you know? The model that we used to use in our church was basically, you know, find the the person that had whatever was defined as the ideal and then try to assign cause to whatever practices or even just their personalities and all these little details. And by doing so, really, first of all, adding a lot of concepts to (laughs) to, that were extra biblical, they they weren't in the Bible, but it's like, if you just do this, things will work out this way, which just creates a huge burden on individuals and on couples. And there are just so many factors of, of personality and experiences and all these things. And I, I agree with you. I think I have so much more of a, a sense of openness to recognize, boy, everybody's story is different. Yeah. And even the par- parts of my life where I feel like, oh, I'm doing this really well, might have nothing to do with my own effort or <laughs> wisdom or insight. And just to, to kind of walk with a, with a kind of grace towards other people. That's me. I think of, of all the 
things that and all of kind of ways that I've changed, that's my favorite thing. <laughs> that's, you know, because I, I have a I have a younger sister who's gay. And I have an older sister who's a far right conservative. And I have a twin brother who's a mystic and doing his thing. And, and, uh, and it has allowed me to love everyone in my family kind of carefully and wonderfully. And, and oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's, uh, I like that. part. <laughs> Can I ask you who you're reading right now? Like what, what books are you reading? What's, what's interest, what topics are really making uh, interesting to you right now? I'm reading uh, Universal Christ by Richard Rohr right now. And I'm reading a book. It's about the nature of mass movements. I can't even think of the author's name, but he basically wrote this in the 50s. And he basically, he, he's talking about what is about mass movements. What are the common features of them? And that's kind of helping you understand politics in the, in the U.S. in the past yeah. <laughs> number of years. So um, I'm reading um, How to Change Your Mind, which is uh, about uh, psychedelics and LSD and how that's treating treating addictions and those types of things. So really kind of a, a strange mix of things. Yeah, I'm I'm reading a book on psychedelics right now too. On uh, it's called Stealing Fire. Oh, interesting. And it's about it's about like the Navy SEALs and all these groups that are doing and they're doing all these studies on on what they call um, hypernormal states like ecstasis and it's fascinating. It's a fascinating it's a fascinating read. It's really kind of blowing my mind. What I think is this idea of what what is the significance of spiritual experiences? You know, I had experiences as a Christian that were very real to me. There was a, a grounding and, a, and an emotional connection and release in worship and in different, you know, parts of the, the Christian tradition and, and practice, spiritual practices. And, and so then to, to step back and, and try to figure out what parts of that were real, what parts did I make up? Right. I'm fascinated by trying to understand other humans and their pursuit of those type of mystical, spiritual experiences, whether they're in other religions, whether they're in cults. Cults are super fascinating to me. I can't, I, I'm like so addicted to watching like documentaries about cults. I think because I'm trying to understand is like, why is, why do people get drawn in these kinds of things? And then I think yeah. the thing with psychedelics is here, are, you know, scientists who are tapping into something that they can't fully explain. Right. And, you know, our mystical experiences just kind of like about the, <laughs> the chemicals yeah. that are taking place in our bodies, or right. is, it a, is it a doorway to something more? And what's, you know, what's beyond that something more? So that's right. where I, 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 I find it interesting that I've interacted with, with different Christian, you know, former Christians or Christians that are in some kind of deconstruction process, right. and they're curious about psychedelics. And I think partly because they're trying to maybe replace or, or find some other means to to access yeah. some, some reality about God or spirituality. Right. So now I'm the, I'm the same way I had when I was a Christian and even as a kid, I had real spiritual experiences that I look back on and I go, that was, that was, a, that was an, and I wouldn't call it unreal or not real or a figment of my imagination. I would look back and I go, well, I had the real experience. You know, there's this great line in the, in the Harry Potter movies. I love Harry Potter. I'm a, my kids, have, I've read them a million times with the kids. That's and um, but there's in the films, I think it was the last film is the moment you've seen the films. I'm not going to spoil it for you, am I? No. <laughs> okay, <yes>. good. <laughs> there's a scene there, the scene when Harry Potter dies, right? He finally gets kind of powed with by, by Voldemort and, and he's in this train station, heavenly place. It looks like oh, King's right. Cross Station, right? Yeah. And he's with Dumbledore and they're, they're kind of talking and philosophizing. And at the end, you know, he basically says you have this choice like to you can go back and or you can stay here or whatever and at the end Dumbledore's walking away and 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 Harry Potter system you know it says sir is this is this real is this just happening inside my head and he says of course it's happening inside your head he goes, but why does that make it any less real and I think about that all the time because I look back on those experiences and I go yes you had that experience yes you had that experience and I, I look at them all now and lead to so that was real that was real and it's all still relevant
whether it happened in church or not. And so I try, I think part of my deconstructed process has been going back and reconciling all of that and still owning it. I guess trying to find a way to still own it and not write it off as fake or unreal. The whole thing is, I find it absolutely fascinating. <laughs> so I agree. Um, can we talk a little bit about uh, Clear and Loud? Oh, sure. I want to start with just Vancouver itself. Um, are you Canadian now? I am on my way to being Canadian. I have permanent residency here. And yeah. in about a year or so, I'll be able to apply for, for citizenship to be a dual citizen of, of the United States and Canada. Oh, wow. That's that's cool, man. I, I'm so... really grateful to Canada. I mean, it, it definitely was part of my awakening to different viewpoints. You just, when you're born in the United States and you live your whole life in the United States, you just right. have a very, I think, American way of, of seeing everything. And you, yeah. you sort of think that's a universal reality. Right. And so to come to a place like Canada, which is so similar in in certain senses, you know, in terms of culturally, there are a lot of similarities, right. but then also very different. And you're, you're removed from the United States and you're seeing it from the outside. It, it definitely was part of my kind of shifting of thinking about a lot of things. And I mean, the reality is too, that my version of Christianity very tied to, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the United mm -hmm. States and, and political parties and those types of things. And so yeah. uh, the, the connections to all those things is, is, is interesting. Is it not that way in, in Canada? Is, is Do evangelical Christians in Canada define themselves or kind of identify more with the conservative party there? Uh, there's not as much of an identification, I don't think. I'm, I'm not an expert on that. I right. kind of purposely uh, <laughs> well done. stayed well away done. from yeah. stayed yeah. away from it, but um, it is a very different. Like they they are kind of baffled by by the way that Christians <laughs> identify so closely to, to right. particular parties. Right. What does that look like? Baffled Canadians. I don't. You know. What is that? that that's got to be a fun sight. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe baffled is not the best word. Maybe scornful would be right. <laughs> yeah, I can picture that easier. <laughs> like, that's fascinating. But you have clear and loud, and you're doing brand messaging. I wanted to ask you because I have a guy who who had a branding agency before we moved to Maui, and 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 I've worked in with big corporate clients and stuff like that. Do you have a dream client, or do you have projects right now that you can talk about that you're that you're excited about? The work that I do is all about helping people get to kind of the core message of who they are and how that connects to the, the audience they want to reach. Mm -hmm. And so I think we, we often do some of our best work with either individuals, you know, who have a personal brand that they're sharing or small businesses that are, you know, kind of going for, they might be doing well, but their, their messaging is convoluted and, and confusing. Right. And so being able to, to come in and help them clarify their message and use powerful, compelling words. And then all the, the brand aesthetic side of it, you know, right. cleaning all yeah. that up is a, is a lot of fun. Yeah. So we work, we work with businesses in all different types of, of industries. Sure. That's exciting stuff, man. I, I, I miss it. I, I really do. I, what I loved about being in that space was, you, you know, each client being completely different. You, you could, in one day you could be talking telecom and then you could be talking about a coffee shop and you could I mean, I swear I did a logo for a, a, an alpaca farm at one point. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Just <laughs> the diversity is a lot of fun, isn't it? Oh, it's, yeah. It's it was like so much fun. Stimulated. Yeah. It was so much fun. Yeah. One of the things cool. that I'm, one of the things that I'm doing that's, it's really trying to, I think, reconnect with some of my more pronounced gifts is that I'm, I'm starting to do what I call clarity coaching, you know, message oh, clarity coaching. Right. for personal brands and for thought leaders and people who are in this space where whether they're an aspiring author or they want to you know craft a, a message or even just you know leaders of organizations where they need to be leading their company 
or industry with ideas and with their own story and their own journey. And so I'm doing coaching where I'm trying to help them kind of sort through how their story connects to their message and shapes that and how that connects to their audience and how they kind of find their own voice in communication. And so I'm drawing from my background as a pastor. I mean, coaching is so much of that. It's like like pastoring, right? Yeah. And then helping them to, to communicate their message more clearly. That's really gratifying for me. So that's, that's sort of a new part of my business. Clarification coaching. That's really an interesting way to put that. I've actually never heard that before. Like I've never heard it coined that way. That like almost like we need, you know, there's there's this explosion in life coaches right now. And, <laughs> yeah. And that that to me, I, that word, the whole thing, it's way too broad for me. I'm like, I, I would never trust anyone to coach, to life coach me. It's just too big. You know what I mean? Because we're in chapters, right? But clarification coaching, that to me, you should probably trademark that. You should probably kind of because it's good. It really makes you go, I can do, I can really use that right now. I really could. And, and uh, the challenge that I always had was I want to make sure that I have clients that, that understand we're doing this in the most authentic way possible. But because right. I, I, you know, I was, I spent a lot of time in the ad agency world and as a creative director and, and man, when money just, you know, money ruled everything and, and, and it was, we're going to ram these messages through whether they're authentic or true or not. Right. Right. So that, you know, when you're on, but when you have your own place, you know, you have clear and loud there, you can kind of determine how that's going to go. And that's, that's very cool, man. That's very cool. Well, listen, man, I don't know. We could probably talk for hours about this stuff, but I want to ask you to do something for me here. We can, we can wrap it up. I, I always ask the guests to leave a blessing with the audience. And that doesn't have to be anything complicated. I mean, I think Ralph Bakshi said like, he's like, what? You know, cause he's this old, you know, guy from Brooklyn. He was like, and I, I said, well, it's a blessing, you know? And I said, just something you want to say to whatever you want your audience to think about. And he goes, eh, do the right thing. Just do the right thing. And I was like, that's oh, great. Perfect. Oh man. I wish I had a Brooklyn accent. <laughs> Can you leave a blessing with the audience? I'd be, I'd be honored to do that. Yeah. My hope for you would just be that you would enjoy the, the wonder and the the mystery of existence and that uh, you would invest in and really love the the people that are most important in your life and not get distracted by all the superficial, meaningless things. Look at that. That was easy, right? Voyager's, <laughs> Voyager's podcast. Uh, I really enjoyed our conversation, David. Thank you for having me on. And you got a friend in Maui, man. Anytime you come, it's it's awesome here. It's such an awesome place. So that's really cool. Well, it's funny because I just was for some reason I was thinking about Hawaii. I was I was work taking my coaching cohort through this exercise where you write an obituary, uh, which is really powerful. You know, powerful exercise to kind of say what do you want to be said, you know, about you at the at the end. Part of that is like the relationships and the qualities of your life. But then there's also like, you know, the thing you want to happen. And one of them was dividing my time between Hawaii and Vancouver. (laughs) So it was a funny and I don't have any. That was just like this thing. And so that was a thing. That was a thing you were thinking or that the person was thinking. That's the thing I wrote about myself. It was just it's just no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. So. Huh. So I've got I've got a good uh, motivation to be scouting out uh, Hawaii. So. The Voyager's podcast is produced by Sugar Sled Productions in Kula on the island of Maui. It's hosted by me, David Glenn Taylor. 
You can watch that documentary about Joshua's reconciliation with readers who had been hurt by his book on YouTube. It's called I Survived, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. I recommend it for anyone who has had to grapple with their own sexuality and confusion, especially through religious structures. It's beautifully honest and very worth your time. You can also follow at Harris Joshua on Instagram. Check out his Vancouver-based branding agency at clearandloud.com. My thanks to Joshua for being honest and vulnerable and willing to spend some time with all of us. We are all living in a narrative, aren't we? We can all re-examine whether it's working for us or not. We're allowed to doubt. We're allowed to ask questions. We are, after all, the author of our stories. And we get to keep writing that book. That's our job. It's no one else's. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. It's really appreciated. You can support the podcast through Patreon by going to voyagerspodcast.com. Just click on the Patreon link up in the right-hand corner. And if you'd like to sponsor, email us at david at voyagerspodcast.com. Next week, we're going to keep stretching our brains, if that's okay. What do you know about artificial intelligence? I mean, beyond what the movies tell us. If the extent of your knowledge of AI and where it's going and what it's doing already begins and ends with the Terminator, then you're going to want to join us. We're talking with Ben Gertzel, one of the world's leading experts in the world of artificial intelligence. And I'll just say this, it's more beautiful than you might think. That's next week on the Voyagers podcast. Mahalo for listening, friends. Mm-hmm.